on our pilgrimage from here to home and walking with Jesus on the narrow way, we've, we've been reminded a few times in these songs of ascent um, that we will face opposition. We're going to encounter enemies and obstacles that will try to knock us off the path or woo us off of the way. But Psalm 130 talks not about enemies and obstacles outside of us, but draws our attention to something inside us that can hinder our walk with Jesus, and that is our own hearts. So keep that in mind as we read together Psalm 130. Read it with me. This is the word of the Lord, the word of the God who loves you. Out of the depths I cried to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated as I pray. Father, we thank you for this time we have together to gather under your word. Would you, by your Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts this morning? And I pray, Lord, that because we've been under your word and around this table together this morning, we would leave here trusting your heart a little more than when we came in. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The psalm writer has something that I want. Um, That's what I realized this week as I studied Psalm 130. This psalm writer has something that I want. And here's here's where I hear it, verses 5 and 6. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. Now, in these verses, wait and hope, there's all kinds of different Hebrew words used for these, but they all have this sense of a waiting hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. He doesn't say here he wants anything else but to wait for the Lord. He's not waiting for anything else except for the Lord. I want that. And this psalm this week stirred my desire for that kind of heart, a heart that just hopes for the Lord. In the 1600s, John Owen paraphrased this psalm writer's words this way. O Lord, I wait with all patience, quietness, and perseverance, my whole soul engaged in an earnest expectation that you will approach. You will approach me with grace and mercy. My soul is intent upon you. My whole frame is turned towards you with diligence and watchfulness looking out for every way and means of your appearance, of the manifestation of yourself, of you coming to me. 
Friends, I want that kind of heart. Do you? Don't you long for a patient, quiet, persevering soul that is convinced God's heart for you is full of grace and mercy? And don't you want the whole frame of your life turned toward him, looking out for him to show up and show himself to you? Don't you long for a heart that hopes for him? I do. And I know you do too. The psalm writer describes the intensity of this hope with a word picture. He says that hoping is like waiting. He says, my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. And no, that's not a typo. They didn't accidentally copy and paste an extra line in there. The repetition is intentional because it represents intensity. When the Hebrew writers would repeat something, they, were, they wanted to make a point. There was an intensity to it. And so the psalm writer is pointing Israel to a familiar sight, to the picture of a guard in a tower or on a city wall, keeping watch in the dark waiting until daylight comes to reveal everything so they can see, are there any enemies coming? And if there are, we know where they are. And that daylight, that sun rising in the morning would assure him of safety and security. My soul waits for the Lord more than a soldier waiting for the security and safety of daylight. There's something about a person waiting in the darkness for the light that captured this man's attention. He waits for, hopes for the Lord more than someone in darkness waits for the light and all that it will bring. Now, we don't have that kind of watchmen or, or guards on towers necessarily around us very much, so we might have trouble relating to the image. So here are some word pictures that maybe would help us, that we might be more familiar with. I, I remember waking up in the middle of the night on Christmas Eve. Uh, maybe you did this too. My parents said, don't get up until the sun gets up. Yeah, right. I, but I, I, I would wake up in the middle of the night, and I, I couldn't get back to sleep because I was waiting for the sun to come up. Why? Why? Because when the sun came up, there would be good stuff and great joy waiting for me downstairs. My soul waits for the Lord more than a child waits for the joy and goodness of Christmas morning. Some of us are waiting in the darkness of loneliness. Uh, research has shown that when a person's face lights up when they see you, a part of your brain lights up. Have you ever been lonely enough to long for the light of a friendly face? My soul waits for the Lord more than the lonely person waits for the smile of a friend. Hmm. I watched a, a video a testimony this week of Johnny Erickson Tata. You may know her story. 55 years ago as a 17-year-old, she had a diving accident, broke her neck, and has spent the last... 55 years, she spent all of my life in a wheelchair as a quadriplegic, um, and I was watching 
a video testimony of her that I, I'll post on our Facebook page for you to watch. It's so encouraging. But she said there that uh, worse than anything else is the chronic pain she feels in her body. And she said that sometimes the pain in the night is so bad, she wakes up in incredible pain, but, but she doesn't want to cry because there's no one there who can wipe her tears or wipe her nose. And so she'll sing the lines of her favorite hymns to help her get through the night until morning comes and someone would wipe her tears and her nose. My soul waits for the Lord more than a sorrowful heart waits for the rising sun to the, dispel the fog of gloom and the fear of the night more than a person in pain waits for someone to come and wipe away their tears. This psalm writer has a heart that hopes. It's not a lazy waiting, it's an alert waiting. As Eugene Peterson said, biblical waiting is vigilance plus expectation. It is wide awake to God. That's biblical hope. It's wide awake to God. So I ask you this morning, what is your heart waiting for this week? What is it hoping for? What light are you waiting to dawn on your life that will bring you safety and security, that will bring you some good that will give you great joy, something that will light up your heart with someone's look of love to blow away the fog of gloom and the fear of night? What are you waiting for that will wipe away your tears? You know, it seems like I'm always hoping for something. I'm always waiting and hoping for whatever's next around the corner. Um, whatever that next thing is that will give my soul rest. Waiting for the next achievement, the next well done, Jimmy, good job, the next good meal, the next relationship or friendship, the next season of life, because surely it's got to be better than this one, right? the next purchase, or that next dopamine, dopamine hit. But I'm intrigued by the possibility that the Lord himself can be my hope. That no matter what comes around the corner, he will be my hope. That when I hope that when what I hope for doesn't come with the morning, that he will be the light that enables me to see and be safe and have joy, that he will be the one to wipe my tears, and that I will see his face light up because he's so glad to see me. There are several of you this morning who are saying yes to this right now. That's the kind of hope you have. That's your soul is waiting for the Lord like that. But there are many of us who, though we know it sounds right, we're just not feeling it this morning. I want to invite you to keep listening. And as you do, tell the Lord what's in your heart. Be honest with him. Lord, I'm not feeling or thinking this, whatever this psalm writer 
felt or thought, ah, I'm not feeling. He knows. Tell him. So then, how did the psalm writer get a heart like this? How did the psalm writer get a heart that hopes for the Lord in the darkness? Well, the psalm tells us, first of all, he did not hope in himself. Look at verses 1 through 3. He didn't hope in himself. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the sound of my voice, of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? He remembered that the Lord had mercifully rescued him from a deeper darkness, the darkness of his sinful heart. He knows that if God were to keep track of all of his sins, to keep track of all of his uh, purposeful wandering off the path, all of his iniquities, if God were to do that, there's no way he could stand. He's drowning in the depths of his own sin and guilt. Like Paul said in Ephesians 2, this man knows that he is dead in his trespasses and sins in which he walks. And if his standing before God is up to him, he has no hope. Have you, have you ever been so overwhelmed by the guilt of your sin that you cried out like this? Out of the depths, I cried to you, God, please have mercy on me. Please don't destroy me. Have mercy on me. Have you ever? Have you ever felt what he's feeling? Have you ever gotten to the place where you despair of yourself? <laughs> where you just don't have any hope in your own ability to do what's uh, necessary, what the Lord requires? In other words, are you tired of hoping in yourself yet? This week, the Lord reminded me of the subtle and sinful ways that I put my hope in myself. Just a couple of little things that happened throughout the week that just made me go, oh, I have so little confidence in Jesus. I have so little confidence. I have too much confidence in myself and way too little confidence in Jesus. The depth of the darkness of my me first heart seems to have no bottom to it. It seems fathomless. If you want a heart that hopes in the Lord, that hopes for the Lord, don't hope in yourself. Come to the end of yourself. Do what this psalm writer did. He hoped in God's heart. He hoped in God's heart. So, don't hope in yourself. Hope in God's heart. Verses 4 and 7 and 8. In verse 4, he says, but with you. We've talked about what's with me. It's not good. But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared, that you may be worshipped and loved and obeyed and followed and trusted. One writer said that that phrase, that you may be feared, um, is kind of an Old Testament way of the way we talk about believing the gospel. 
trusting in Christ. Um, but with you, there is forgiveness. And then in verses 7 and 8, um, he says, For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all of his iniquities. He knew something about this, this God's heart. And when this man considers his sins, he feels like he's in a deep pit. And he knows he belongs there because he sinned against the Lord himself. So from the depths, he calls out to the only hope and help he has, to the Lord whose heart of mercy and love is deeper than his depths. As Corey Timboom once said, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. Our friend knows that God will come to rescue him when he cries out for mercy. He, he knows that God will come and climb down into that pit and get him out. But what is it in God's heart that gives him that hope? What will come with God to sinners who cry to him for mercy? What will the Lord bring with him when he comes down into the pit to rescue us? The psalmist tells us, verse 4, with him there is forgiveness. So he will bring forgiveness. He will send away our sin and our guilt. In verse 7, he says, he will bring with him steadfast love, for with the Lord is steadfast love. It's a faithful, promise-keeping, covenant-keeping love that the Lord has given to his people. He will bring that with him to rescue us from the depths of our sin. And then in verse 7, he says, with him there is plentiful redemption. I love that phrase, uh, plentiful redemption. There's more than enough. Like Paul said later in Romans 5, where sin abounds, God's grace superabounds. You can go as deep as you want, his love is deeper. And if you want a heart that hopes for the Lord, then hope in his heart for you. Hope in that heart for you. Well, if you're like me, you easily lose sight of God's heart for you. Maybe you wake up in the night and remember sins of your past, the ways that you dishonored God and mistreated people in your life. And you, you, you start to think, oh, oh, oh. And maybe you find yourself trapped in what the Puritans called a besetting sin, a sin that's got you entangled, that keeps tripping you up that you just can't seem to shake why am I continuing to fall into this again and again and again why am I continuing to love this thing to choose this or maybe as you grow older and closer to Jesus you just become more aware of the subtle sin that, that still lurks in you and it breaks your heart sure you're more holy than you've ever been but because of that you see more clearly the sin that lives in you. All of these could cause you to wonder how God could love a wretch like you. Even if you know it in your head and you've known it for years. Dane Ortland said, your sins can darken, darken your awareness of God's love, but they cannot darken the reality of that love. 
it happens to us all the time. Our sins darken the awareness of God's love for us, but they never darken the reality of it. it, it the sun is always shining. Just because we on, on this part of the earth may be turned away from it sometimes and are in darkness doesn't mean the sun isn't still there and shining. It's real. The forgiving, steadfast love and plentiful redemption of God's heart is real. It's there. But we must turn ourselves toward it in order to be warmed by it. And so how, how did the psalm writer turn himself toward God's heart? He gives us that answer in verse 5. This is, this is very interesting. In verse 5, he says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. So he doesn't hope in himself. He hopes in the heart of God, but he hopes in that heart of God that he finds in God's word. He hopes in what God's word says about God's heart. Because God's heart is revealed in his word. I mentioned Johnny Erickson Tata, and someone asked her how she's lived for 55 years in a wheelchair as a quadriplegic. And she said, I have soaked myself in the word of God so that I can know him. And she made it clear. It's not like the Bible soaking myself in, in God's word is some magical thing that just makes me a super Christian. No, I soak myself in his word so I can know him. It's a relational, a relational reality that she's um, looking for. This psalm writer was soaked in the words that God had given his people about who he is and what he's done. And it's there that he learned the two names for God that he uses in this psalm. You'll notice, look at, look at the verses. In verse 1, so he uses the word Lord several times throughout this psalm. But sometimes the word Lord is in all caps, and sometimes it's in capital L and lowercase. Why is that? The translators are trying to uh, help us understand that the word that is translated Lord with all caps is one word, and the word that's translated Lord with lowercase is another word entirely. Um, there's two Lords. The lowercase Lord is the word Adonai. It means the sovereign king, the sovereign ruler. And so what the psalmist learned uh, about this God whose name is Sovereign uh, Adonai, Lord, is that the story of God's people is being written by the one who's in complete control. He has his finger on every plot twist and turn in his people's story. God the Lord, Adonai, has his finger on every plot twist and turn in your story. But the other word, Lord, that's all caps, is the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is the name that God gave to Moses. It's, it's the name of the God who made them his covenant people, who rescued Israel from slavery and made him his son. It's the name of the God who committed himself for them. It's great to know that your Lord, the one writing your story, is in complete control, 
But it's also a little frightening because what if his heart is not good and he controls your story? But this word Lord, this name Lord, Yahweh, is the one who has proven himself to love his people. The story is being written by one whose heart is for his people. It's not just that God is in control of the twists and turns in your story. He's writing them from his good heart and for your good. If this God loves us enough to move heaven and earth to make, his, to make sinners his sons, then we can know that every plot twist and turn he writes is for us, not against us. So friends, when I stand up here and I say, you got to be in God's word. You got to read your Bible. You got to go to Bible study, go to youth group and learn the Bible. It's not because we think that if you just do it, it's a magical thing. Take this pill and you become super Christian. No. The purpose of reading and studying and soaking yourself in this story and all that it teaches is so that we can know this God whose heart is for us, even though it shouldn't be. It's so that he could, you can know how much he loves you. So don't read God's word to get God to love you. Read it to hear and say how much he does. Hopefully, if, if you're like me, I grew up with, read your Bible, read your Bible, pray, have devotions. And yeah, that starts to sound like some kind of magical formula in the thing that Christians do. But no, it's so that we can know this person, this God who loves us. So what do we, what do, we do with all this? If the psalm writer were here, what, he would, what would he tell you to do with this today? I think he would say to you and me what he says in verses 7 and 8 to Israel, his people. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. We have to remember where the people of Israel were when they sang this song. They were walking to Jerusalem. They were walking to the temple where the sacrifice for their sins would be made. But friends, they had to be thinking at some point, how many lambs and goats is it going to take to forgive all my iniquities? There are not enough lambs and goats to die for all our iniquities. So how will God redeem us from all of them like he promises? You, you know it. We know it. There is only one sacrifice in whom and through whom there is plentiful, more than enough redemption. Forgiveness that never runs dry. Jesus Christ, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. You can hope in Jesus to deliver you from the deepest darkness you will ever know, the darkness of your sinful heart. You can trust him to do that because he cried out from the cross from the depth of your sin and mine. He cried out from the cross for the depth of your guilt and mine. And he rose from the depth of our grave and our hell. And he's alive. So you can trust him. That when he comes to you, he comes with forgiveness, with steadfast love, 
with plentiful redemption. And if his heart is full of mercy and forgiveness for your sin, then you can know that his heart is deeper with steadfast love and plentiful redemption than any deep darkness you're waiting in right now. Wait for the Lord Jesus in your darkness like a watchman waits in the morning. Don't hope in yourself. Hope for him. I told you that 500 years ago, Martin Luther wrote the hymn we sang earlier based on Psalm 130. Once when he was waiting to hear whether the church authorities would condemn him and his teachings, Luther gathered his household and said, Come, despite the devil... Sing Psalm 130 and thereby praise and glorify God. So, our forefather Martin Luther used this psalm to encourage him and his people in the midst of waiting in dark moments. And this is what he wrote in verses 4 and 5 of that hymn. Though I wait the livelong night until the dawn appears, My heart still trusts in his might. It doubts not nor fears the might of a God who could forgive his sin. Do the same, O you of Israel's seed, you of spirit born indeed, and wait till God appears. And then he closes the hymn this way. Though great our sins and sore our woes, his grace much more abounds. His helping love no limit knows. Our utmost need, it sounds. Our shepherd good and true is he who will at last his Israel free from all their sin and sorrow. Friends, the Lamb of God has proven by his sacrifice that he is your good and true shepherd. You can hope for him. As we come to the table... Uh, when I was in high school, I had the opportunity to see uh, President Ronald Reagan, uh, Ronald Reagan speak in person at an outdoor event. Some of my friends and I uh, went to see him in Charlotte. And uh, we were as close to the presidential podium, we were closer to the presidential podium than I am from the back of this auditorium. Uh, we were right there. We waited for what seemed like hours, probably was, uh, for his motorcade to arrive and for him to step up to that podium. But at one point, suddenly there was a buzz in the crowd. You know, this whisper kind of went across. He's here. He's here. He's here. And as soon as that happened, all of us pressed forward and stood on our toes. Trying to get just one glimpse of him to hear what he would have to say. Eyes peeled, necks protruding forward, hearts pounding. We were looking for a man we admired, a hero we hoped would make things better, a leader we trusted. I want my soul to be on tiptoe waiting for Jesus. Don't you? Longing to see and be with him because with him is forgiveness With him is steadfast love. With him is plentiful redemption. So that he may be feared. So that he may be admired, adored, trusted, and known, and embraced, and befriended, counted on. I want to be on tiptoe 
waiting for him. Friends, come to this table with your heart on tiptoe this morning. Come with a heart wide awake to Jesus. Come expectant, expecting the broken body and the poured out blood of Jesus to smell and taste like the good and gracious and merciful, suffering, sinner-loving heart of your God. When you come to this table, come and bring all of your hopes to his great heart. Father, we come. We come to the proof of your love for us. We come to this great picture of your great heart. And we ask that your spirit would uh, stir in us a longing, a hope, a waiting for Jesus, for you. For whatever you uh, are going to be to us in the midst of whatever we are going through. Help us not to hope in ourselves. Help us to hope in your heart, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.